Chapter 160 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gesine. Varney the Vampire, Volume 3, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 160. It was some minutes before the stranger, who had so newly risen from the dead, let go of the grasp he had of the monk's throat. He held him firmly by the throat by both hands, but as he stood grasping him, his face was turned upwards towards the moon's rays, which fell upon his breast and features, insomuch that he appeared to gain strength at every breath he drew. But what a ghastly face he wore, what a death-like paleness spread over his forehead! The terrible-looking eyes appeared to throw back the light of the moon, much the same as its rays are reflected by glass. The unfortunate monk was partially kneeling, his back forced against the trunk of the tree upon which he had been sitting, his face turned upwards, and his eyes almost bursting from their sockets, while his hands convulsively grasped those of his enemy. But his strength decreased as that of the other increased. His cowl fell off, and his bare head was exposed to the moonlight. There was a death-like pause, and the figure slowly released its hold upon the throat of the monk, and stepped back a pace or two to look upon his work. The monk's body retained the posture given to it by the efforts to extinguish his life, and appeared as though his muscles had rigidly set in death, but the trunk of the tree itself was a sufficient support. Dead, muttered the figure, dead. Again he moved about, and went into an open space, where the moonlight came uninterruptedly, without any barrier, and from this spot he surveyed the hideous work of his hands. Dead, dead, muttered the figure. This was undoubtedly true, and yet there remained the body of the monk, which, but for the turn of the head backwards, and its face upwards, it might be easily supposed that he had died in the attitude of devotion or supplication, but, as it was, it was evident by what means he had come to his death. "'I must have a victim,' muttered the stranger. "'Am I always to meet with the pangs of death, but to renew such a life on such a term? Never to obtain a renewal without the pangs of death, and why? Because I have not been able to obtain the voluntary consent of one that is young, beautiful, and a virgin. I might then, for a season, escape the dreaded alternative.' He walked round and round the body of the monk for some time, and then he came and sat down by its side, upon the trunk of the tree, and appeared lost in contemplation. But at length he looked at the body, saying, "'Ay, ay, I have a plan. The church has furnished many a victim. Let it furnish me with one. The church will furnish the sacrifice, and will give me the means of obtaining the offering. Well and good, it shall be done.' He arose and walked about the body once more, and then approached it. Having apparently made up his mind, he came to it, saying, "'I will become a monk, too, of the most holy order of St. Francis. Yes, that will serve me well enough. I will take his cassock, it will serve my turn, and be a ready introduction to the religious world. I am the good monk Francis myself. My learning and sanctity is great. It will carry all before it.' and I shall be in great request. It will indeed be strange if there be no fruit upon such a tree. 
I am sure I shall deserve it. He seized the body and pulled off the monk's clothing and quickly apparelled himself in it, leaving the body as if fell by the side of the tree, and, having thrown his own clothes on one side, he drew the cowl over his head, and, seizing the staff he brought with him, he was about to leave the spot, but a sudden thought occurred to him, and he turned back, and began to rummage among the pockets of the monk. These churchmen, I have heard, never travel without something of value about them, and his gold, if he have any, may as well be mine as anyone else's who may be passing this way. He found the two purses that had been given him by Fiametta and José, and some that he had beside. Moreover, there were some letters and papers which he put in his pocket, merely observing, These will enable me to pass for the character I assume successfully. I am and will be a monk. I will shrive and confess poor deluded souls, and send them on their eternal journeys. A ghastly and hideous smile crossed his face, and having burthened himself with what he thought necessary or worth while, he quitted the spot. There were two convents, or nunneries, near the city of Naples, at some short distance apart from each other. One was the convent of St. Mary Magdalene, and the other was the convent of St. Cecilia, about a mile and a half apart, or perhaps more, some said a league, and so it was by the road, but not in a direct line. It was late one evening when the great bell of the convent of St. Mary Magdalene gave warning from without that someone demanded admission. The superior of the convent, a woman far advanced in age, and somewhat proud of her character, and not a little disposed to personal comfort, was much annoyed at the sound which gave some promise of trouble. "'Well,' muttered the portress, as she rose from before a fire and tottered towards the gate, looking through the iron grating for the object that disturbed her in her meditations and her devotion to the good things that Providence had furnished her with. Well, what do you want? I am a poor travelling brother of the Order of St. Francis. I am benighted, and I wish for a lodging and food. Friend, brother of St. Francis, this is at a later hour than that at which we open our gates to strangers. They little think at Rome, said the monk, that to obtain a shelter we have to get to the gates of a holy house before a certain time, and those who most need shelter, because it is less to be had, must wait and perish in the cold. The gates are shut. I see it. And the abbess has got the keys. Will she not give me shelter and food? I may not ask her. I must, then, remain here outside the walls until the morning, and then I will wend my way back to the holy city, where I will say their messenger could not obtain rest and shelter at the convent here. Do you come from Rome? I do, and do you refuse to tell your abbess an unworthy brother of holy St. Francis is here, and waiting for admission? The portress made no reply. She was by far too indignant to make an answer, and yet too fearful to refuse to do his bidding, for he spoke in a peremptory tone that indicated an authority beyond what was usual in his appearance. She, therefore, found her way to the Lady Abbess, to whom she began with every expression of submission and respect. "'My lady,' said the portress, "'there is one without who wants to come in.' "'Well,' said the abbess, we can't let him in. 
"'I told him so,' replied the portress, "'but you would hardly credit it what he said about the holy pilgrim from Rome, "'stepping outside the gate all night, and returning to the holy city, "'and speaking of our inhospitality.' "'Did he,' said the abbess, "'say so much?' "'He did.' "'Then let him in,' said the abbess. "'Let him in,' said the portress, in an ecstasy of surprise, "'opening her eyes very wide and repeating the words, "'Let him in.' "'Yes, do as we bid you,' said the abbess. "'Yes,' replied the portress, "'certainly. "'Whatever our holy superior orders it is for me to obey. "'I do your bidding.' Away went the holy portress to discharge her spleen in privacy, and at the same time, unable to account for the orders given her, she returned to the portal, and having unbarred the gate, she drew the bolts and turned the lock, and opening the door, stood for the monk to enter. "'Come in,' she said. "'What do you mean? Do you not want to come in?' "'Am I free to enter?' "'Wherefore do I hold the gate open? For pleasure?' "'No, sister,' said the monk, "'through anger, I believe, "'but if you can find it in your conscience "'to be angry because I am at the door "'and give you this trouble, "'what will be the feelings of St. Peter, "'who keeps the gates of heaven, "'when you present yourself thereat, "'a hungry being and erring sinner, "'but peace be upon this place?' "'Amen,' said the portress. "'At that moment one of the nuns came "'from the superior of the convent, saying, "'Holy Father, when you have rested and refreshed yourself, our worthy abbess will be glad to converse with you. I am even now at her commands, said the holy man. Will you not taste food and rest yourself? I never tire or need food, when I have aught to do that in any way concerns our religion. But, holy father, the body needs refreshment. It can be supported upon spiritual food alone, if the Lord wills said the monk, crossing himself most devoutly. "'You must have great gifts, holy father.' "'Not I, but he that sent me,' said the monk solemnly. "'Will you follow me, holy man, and I will lead you to the abbess, who will be right glad to speak with you. She wishes to speak to one, lately come from the holy city. You can tell her news of the holy father.' "'I can, my sister.' "'Then come this way,' said the nun, who immediately led the way to the abbess, till he was lost sight of by those in the waiting-room. End of chapter 160